February 4, 1948. Excerpt from a British movie tone newsreel. The whole world was shocked by the news of Gandhi's assassination. Known as the father of India's independence, Gandhi, with perhaps the largest following any man ever had in his own lifetime, was one of the most vital figures of our age. Excerpt from a British Pathé newsreel. Mahatma Gandhi is dead. When vast throngs crowded Delhi's Birla house, urging him to break his last fast, a few imagined an assassin would strike near this spot 11 days later. To the simple trusting multitudes of India, this frail figure was a god. In his 40 years campaign for freedom, his creed was peace. When independence came, it brought bloodshed. Yet Gandhi's non-violence held in check the threat of civil war. His simple eloquence and ascetic life earned him the respect of all. Sir Stafford Cripps called him the world's greatest spiritual leader. In every age great men are born. Gandhi was one of these. True crime. Sex. Political conspiracy. Celebrity gossip. Murder. UFOs. Crooked officials. The occult. Assassination. Courtroom drama. Rape. Corporate scams. Scandal sheets. Everyone, my name is Thad Helsley, and welcome to Scandal Sheet. And this is part two of our assassination special, Sympathy for the Devil. In our last episode, we examined the man who killed Abraham Lincoln, John Wilkes Booth. In this episode, we will scrutinize the men that killed Mahatma Gandhi of the Republic of India and Martin Luther King Jr. of the United States of America. Of course, all three of these victims are people from very different times and places, but what they have in common is that they promoted the values of justice, equality, and nonviolence. But they were still murdered. So who were these assassins and why did they do it? And as usual, I am joined by my co-host, Anya Rada, to drill into this uplifting topic. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Hi there, Scandal Sheet viewers or listeners, I guess. Okay, so let's move on to our next assassination, which took place on January 30th, 1948. Anurata, it's come up in earlier episodes that your ethnicity is South Asian or AKA Indian American. Is that correct? Guilty as charged, Dad. Okay. <laughs> so- so clearly you have a more informed point of view of this particular assassination than someone like me that grew up in the U.S. Uh, so just as we did with John Wilkes Booth, I want to talk about the assassins and the social currents that drove them to do what they did and not so much about the victims themselves. But I know you feel Gandhi's virtual sainthood has been somewhat exaggerated here in the U.S. and in India. So, and frankly, so have Lincoln's and, and uh, Martin Luther King's as well. Uh, and even though the assassinations are our focus, I want to give you the opportunity to say whatever you would like to our audience about Gandhi himself. Yeah, no, sure. So Mahatma Gandhi, uh, for folks out there, was a jerk. Just kidding, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was, you know, obviously he was the symbol of peace, right? Like people always when they think about him, they they think about peace, they think about some 
skinny little bald guy, you know, with glasses. Skinny little bald guy. And very minimal clothing. But, um, you know, so he that's great. That's a that's a really good thing to keep in mind that what he what he wanted was uh, essentially peace. But I think how he kind of got along to it was not always practical, right? So there were a lot of freedom fighters, freedom, you know, um, wanters in India. And he kind of was a little bit on the end of, hey, let's just be really peaceful and let's just, you know, basically keep taking abuse, um, you know, and then hopefully they'll just stop beating up on you. But, you know, that works for some, but, but on a practical sense, does it always work? Probably not. Um, there are questions whether he was fair to everybody as far as like, was he spreading the message of, Hey, let's turn the other cheek to everyone. Uh, that's always something that is questionable, um, you know, has been brought up from time to time. Um, but do I think that he, you know, tried his best for that time to be uh, peaceful and, and spread that message in, in the way he was passionate about? Uh, yeah. Um, but, you know, he, he did have some scandalous pieces to himself, uh, just as, you know, the other two folks that we are covering today. Um, so that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So I'm loosely following the format we established with the part one episode. So who is Nataram Godse and why did he wish to kill Gandhi? I mean, he was apparently a follower of Gandhi in his youth. Yeah, no, uh, Nataram Godse uh, was a follower um, of Gandhi for you know, quite some time. I think it started probably with curiosity um, in Gandhi's message, um, maybe even um, getting some inspiration. But eventually, as I mentioned before, I think he probably started to look into, well, you know, his message is not really fair. It's maybe not really equal to everybody. Is he telling everyone to turn the cheek? So that was kind of something that, I think really bothered Nathuram Godse. And at that time, apparently people didn't talk. They just, uh, they just, you know, went for the, went for the, the big money ticket there. Um, you know, and, and I think maybe he had just, uh, <laughs> he had just had enough and was like, you know what, let's, let's just go ahead and, uh, call it a day for, uh, for Gandhi here. Who knows? But, I do uh, I do acknowledge the fact that he did respect him at first. I think there was that curiosity, that inspiration of, yes, like this guy is going to hopefully lead us to the path of what we want. Uh, eventually, the more he learned about him, the more he started to lose respect for him and started to find maybe better ways to resolve um, the, you know, to to resolve the issue and to reach where he wanted to reach. And maybe he saw Gandhi as even an obstacle at that point. So it's really hard to say, but that's kind of that's kind of what I got from from you know Nathuram Godse and, and his whole viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Now, just like with Lincoln and uh, Booth, our listeners will ask, well, how does an assassin get this close to a victim? I mean, he, he's literally. A few feet away, Gandhi's walking around surrounded by thousands of people during this incident. And, and he doesn't even have one bodyguard, apparently. I mean, how is it possible? 
Yeah, that's the thing that always blows my mind. Like, and and Gandhi's too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Oh my God, that's such oh, a bad taste. Bad. Oh, that was terrible. <laughs> hey man, you blew my mind. <laughs> I am a Christian attitude. <laughs> <laughs> that's terrible. No, no, no. Um, no, it's very interesting because it's like, you know, back then I would imagine, right, they thought you know, and maybe this was a conceited viewpoint, but they thought, hey, yeah, you know, I'm doing great for the country. So everyone is behind me, right? So maybe there was a part of him that was like, ah, you know what, maybe I don't really need that protection, because these are my people. And um, they support me and they support uh, my vision. So that was probably the the part, you know, back back then that that was probably his thought process i do find it very interesting that you know there wasn't any kind of support or any kind of person that's like you know hey uh you know we should probably give you some security just in case something like this happens so i feel like everyone was kind of walking around with blinders back then being like yeah no you're good you're uh you're good you know you just someone tries to attack you gandhi just turn the other cheek you know (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I don't know if you you had a chance to look at that link I sent you, which was a broadcast uh, from India today, which is in in an English language broadcast in India. And they they quote Gandhi as telling his wife or somebody that he knew he was going to get killed by a bullet. And, you know, he said, "It's it's inevitable, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay. And this was like, I don't know, a few months before he actually got shot. Like he had a premonition or something. Oh, damn. Well, well, then there you go. You know, I think uh, we had talked about Lincoln potentially having the same kind of, you know, premonition or. Right. Right. You know how they always say, like, you accept certain risks in, you know, in your job or those kinds of things. And maybe you just look at it like this is like, you know, something that could potentially happen. And I guess maybe he was okay with it. Maybe he was like, all right, well, if someone is going to do this, then, um, you know, may peace be with you if you really <laughs> want to do it. So, you know, who knows? Yeah, that's that's kind of crazy. I did not look at the link. I'll be honest with you. I'm okay. sorry about there you go. that. That is interesting, though. That is very interesting. Now you could probably keep that. That would be funny. Who knows? Okay. If you want to. Okay, sorry. You do what you want. Sorry. <laughs> so much like Booth, Mr. Goatsy didn't seem to have a well thought out escape plan. And, uh, you know, he's he's right there. Everybody sees him. You've got a thousand eyewitnesses. And he was pretty much captured on the spot. Uh, there were eight co-conspirators and all but one were convicted. Goatsy and one other were executed by hanging and the other six were sentenced to life imprisonment. So I guess they were thinking this is an, uh, a suicide mission. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, pretty much like <laughs> it just blows my you're not even going to try to run away <laughs> like. You're not even going to try to put something together, you know, like maybe they just thought, ah, you know, this guy doesn't have any bodyguards. I'll just come in and come out, you know, maybe. Well, when you look at the when you look at the raw footage, so there's all this on YouTube. And so 
you know, they don't have the second that he pulls the trigger, but it's like right afterwards. And then that in, that massive crowd of fa- thousands of people, they just converge on him. You know, it's sort of like, you know, in a football game on the five yard line, like everybody, you know, the guy tries to run at it through the middle and then the entire opposite team just piles on top of you, <laughs> except except times a thousand. So, I mean, I don't, you know, unless he had access to a helicopter or something, he wasn't going to get out of there. <laughs> Holy moly. Well, maybe yeah. he was, uh, let's just say maybe this guy wasn't the best planner, you know, like maybe there were some other times he could have gotten him like, you know, maybe at night. That's what I'm thinking. Sneak into the hotel room, you know, you know, do what Booth did, right? <laughs> or maybe he thought everyone would just go along with it and be like, yes, finally, someone did it. We were all thinking it. Glad you did it. Maybe. I don't know, but it's Maybe. so odd that, uh, you know, these guys didn't have escape plans. They were just like, you know what? We just really want this person gone. So whatever happens after that is whatever happens. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to it's really hard to kind of think through that. I would have at least tried to put together some kind of plan, you know, like leak some snakes into his room or something. Who knows? Like, I don't know. Like the way you'd kill James Bond, you'd like slip a poisonous tarantula into his bed or something like that. Yeah, like put some... Something clever. Yeah, put some poison in his milk or something. Right, right. I heard Gandhi really liked his milk, so put a little poison in that milk. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, I'm not giving anyone ideas. Not giving anyone. We're just talking about maybe there could have been a better escape plan or maybe a better plan in general. Rather than just being like, I did it. All right. Well, I guess just hang me at this point. So that's very interesting. Eight eight co-conspirators. So at least he had some some fan backing back then. So that's good. So I guess he, he wasn't uh, all that bright. But but I guess I'm my question is, why did he do it? So uh, we agree that he, he seemed to have everything to lose. But but again, in 1948, he had a lot of choices of guys uh, that he could have whacked. You know, these uh, these bad guy Iron Men like Stalin or the uh, in the new Soviet Union or Mao Zedong, uh, who is just establishing the People's Republic of China. I mean, these were multi million man uh, armies backing them with planes and tanks and they had killed tens of millions of their own people over the years i mean these were genocidal maniacs but they all died of natural causes without a scratch on them so compare that to this frail little 70 year year old almost naked man like you said who maybe weighs like what 90 pounds he's he's like the kid that you want to beat up in fourth grade and it's like well i'm gonna get him i'm gonna let all these other guys you know killing tens of millions of people stay alive this guy preaching peace um i'm gonna i'm taking him out you know what what did he think that he could possibly gain by you know what was he squelching in india through this murder he wasn't going to get Pakistan back, was he? Yeah, no, I mean... Well, uh, the partition had already taken place, according to Wikipedia. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. you know, you're good, you're good. Gandhi was against the partition, but the Congress overruled him. So you couldn't blame the partition on Gandhi. Yeah, 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 no. I mean, here's the thing, right? So I'm going to use a video game reference here, Thad. Please. You know, when you have all these, I don't want to say masters, but all these people that you have to kill in a video game, right? 
like the bosses, you go for the tiniest one first. Hmm. Okay. Gandhi's like the beginner one. And then you got, you know, who know who knows? Maybe Mao is next, and then Stalin is the last. Okay, you're you're saying Gandhi was the starter murder. This one's <laughs> going to be easy. I'm getting my, I'm just getting sort of getting my, you know, my muscles toned up here, <laughs> and then I'll go for the big guys. No, <laughs> I kid, I kid, I kid. No, no, I feel here, here we are getting off topic again. I feel like Gold say he obviously was very passionate about this. Right. And I think that this was a I don't know if I'm using this term the right way, but it's, it was a passion killing where he was very passionate about. I probably am not using that in the right term, but whatever. Um, he was very passionate about the subject. Right. And this was someone that was directly impacting him. Right. Uh, Stalin and Mao. OK, yeah, like they're terrible. But how much did he really know about them? Was he really emotionally connected to what they were doing? Probably not. Right. So he probably wouldn't go over there just to, you know, kill the person, and come back here. I think it was the ease. Right. This guy has no one around him, you know, just a skinny little, you know, ball guy sitting around, um, you know, so he he was an easy target, maybe. And also this was something that Godzai was very passionate about. Right. He was like, well, I don't agree with this guy anymore. And I feel like he is maybe even sending the wrong message to people you know, let me just take him out. So I think that's probably what maybe drove him the most, right? And then you probably have the co-conspirators being like, yeah, do it. Yeah, you know it. You know he's been doing this, you know? So that probably kind of influenced him even more where he's like, wow, people are actually going to back my decision. Did he think he was going to be hung for it? I still don't know that part, but I kind of can imagine why he would do it. Should he have done it? Probably not. Probably not. He probably should have just talked to the guy and been like, you need to calm down. But, uh, you know, everyone's <laughs> resolved their issues in, uh, <laughs> in different ways. This guy resolved it in this way. So that's kind of my thought on that. So let's move on to our final assassination on April 4th, 1968. Presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy, brother of the assassinated President John Kennedy, makes an impromptu announcement during a campaign rally with a majority African-American audience. I have some very sad news for all of you, and that is that Martin Luther King was shot and was killed tonight in Memphis. Martin Luther King dedicated his life to love and to justice between fellow human beings. He died in the cause of that effort. In this difficult day, in this difficult time for the United States, it's perhaps well to ask what kind of a nation we are and what direction we want to move in. For those of you who are black, considering the evidence evidently is that there were white people who were responsible, you can be filled with bitterness and with hatred and a desire for revenge. Or we can make an effort, as Martin Luther King did, to understand and to comprehend and replace that violence, that stain of bloodshed that is spread across our land 
with an effort to understand compassion and love. What we need in the United States is not division. What we need in the United States is not hatred. What we need in the United States is not violence and lawlessness, but is love and wisdom and compassion toward one another. Feeling of justice toward those who still suffer within our country, whether they be white or whether they be black. Robert F. Kennedy was murdered two months and two days after this speech. All right, Dad, shifting gears to MLK here. Who was James Earl Ray and why did he wish to kill Dr. King? So James Earl Ray was a serial criminal for his entire life, and he was convicted and went to jail at least twice. And in fact, he escaped from a 20-year prison sentence not long before he got involved in the assassination. So we can talk more about some of the theories here, but this guy was a chronic sociopath. He was, he was not going to amount to anything. The question is, how did he get involved in this, something this big? I mean, he was, small-time, he was a small-time crook. Oh, wow. But he actually had a record unlike the other two. Correct. Big re- record as long as his arm, man. Going back to high school. Wow. Well, I mean, that's, yeah, that's very interesting. Like, unlike Booth and Godsey, Ray was able to elude authorities for over two months and even made it all the way to England. So he didn't just sit there and take it like the other two. Uh, But he still didn't have the most brilliant getaway plan, did he? No, he didn't. And it was almost, um, we'll talk about this in a little bit. It's almost too good to be true. So the, the authorities, because he, he shoots Martin Luther King from across the street. So this is not like a point blank thing like Booth and Goadsey. You know, this guy knows how to shoot a gun. It's from across the street. And people had seen where the gunshot had come from. They go over there. They find a bag with the rifle used to shoot him and a pair of binoculars both which conveniently have his fingerprints on them so he didn't even put gloves on like he never even watched a crime movie you know so, <laughs> didn't, know what, James. didn't know what fingerprints were now you Come know on, so <laughs> <laughs> and then they go into the room that he had rented and they find all this other incriminating evidence you know all these you know maps and stuff like that and information on where martin luther king was staying like you know as if he had done this research himself and it's like oh gee why don't you just serve this to us on a silver platter or something (laughs) so i don't know about that but he did make it he did make it to england you know they didn't capture him until uh in heathrow airport so he was even on his way somewhere else why england that's very interesting good question i'll have to dig into that a little bit further but i mean getting out of the country you know then you have to like extradite and i mean that that's you know, that, like Alec was telling us with uh, Booth, you know, one of the theories was that he was supposed to be going to Canada. You know, why I went to Maryland instead is, you know, anybody's guess, but uh, Canada would have been good. So basically, <laughs> like, these guys were so passionate about their decision, they didn't even really think about the aftermath or, you know, maybe not, covering things up. Not good enough. And to me, it's like, that's all I would think about. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah, but how do we get out of there? 
You know, exactly. <laughs> like, what the hell, man? Like, I'm gonna spend a crap ton of money to fly to England, but I will leave my fingerprints on everything, and I will give the cops everything that they need to know that I did it. But I will still escape to England. Like, <laughs> just wipe your fingerprints, man. Wipe your fingerprints. Hide your stuff. Freaking stay in the country. And they, they, they maybe they won't know it's you. But mm -hmm. um, <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh yeah, I forgot to add one thing. So after he made his escape from the Missouri State Penitentiary, he got plastic surgery to change his appearance. He got what? a nose job. <laughs> What? <laughs> yeah, he actually did. So because he was afraid, you know, he was a fugitive. He had escaped like on a bread truck driving out of the cafeteria. And I don't know where, where do you get the money in 19, <laughs> you know, 68 to go and get a, a face job? <laughs> this guy is freaking, oh my God. I can't right now with this guy. So let's get this straight. Instead uh -huh. of just wiping his fingerprints, Hiding his shit and freaking just being more careful. This guy not only goes to England, but he freaking gets plastic surgery, probably spends, I don't know how much money plastic surgery was back then, but probably a couple thousand, where all he could have done was just hide his stuff. Well, actually, the plastic surgery was before the assassination and after the breakout. So he was basically oh. avoiding capture. So, um, <laughs> so he didn't look the same, finally caught him as they did when he had been in jail. So, oh, damn. but you're right. You're right. Just like, if he's smart enough to do that, <laughs> it's like, you know what? They're sooner or later, they're, you know, my poster's going to be in every post office in the world. I better get, uh, you know, I better change my face. So you're smart enough to do that, but you're not smart enough to wear gloves. I when know. you shoot somebody, <laughs> you're still going to know it's him. They're going to freaking take his fingerprint and they're going to know it's him because he is already a convicted criminal. So the plastic surgery doesn't even matter. Oh, my gosh. This freaking guy. Oh, gosh. I feel like they all should have consulted like somebody like they really should have talked to somebody and been like, hey, this is my plan. Thinking of spending a couple grand on this. What do you think? And then that person probably would have been like, keep your money, hide the freaking rifle, you know, wipe your fingerprints off, maybe hide the binoculars and the maps and all that other stuff. And maybe burn your apartment so no one can find anything in there. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. This one is I'll tell you, this guy is probably the most entertaining one that we've uh, read about so far. I'll tell you that. Well, it gets crazier. Mm-hmm. So initially when he gets caught, uh, his lawyer convinces him to plead guilty. And the reason for that is by pleading guilty, uh, you are not you at the time. Capital punishment was a possibility if you had a jury trial and the jury convicted you. But if you avoid the trial altogether and just plead guilty, the maximum sentence they could give you 
was a life sentence. And then, of course, there'd be the possibility for parole. So his lawyer advised him, let's do that, because otherwise these guys are going to fry your ass. Seriously, you're going to get convicted, and they are going to put you in the electric chair. Period. End of story. So he pleads guilty. But then later, he changes his mind, and he recants, he being James O'Reilly, and he says, you know what? I'll take my chances. I want a jury trial because... As he insisted, he did not actually do it. He was a deliberately placed fall guy. So all of those like really obvious, obvious clues were obvious because they said, here, hold this rifle. Here, hold his binoculars. Okay, we're going to rent this room for you, and we're going to put like maps and all this other stuff in there. <laughs> and, and he was not even involved, according to himself. Now, there was a guy, the, the motel... This is where Martin Luther King and his people were saying. So I don't know if you ever saw the um, the Green Book film. There used to be, you know, in the South, there was segregation in hospitality services. So black people could only stay in certain hotels, go to certain restaurants, blah, blah, blah. And so this was one of those uh, establishments that would cater to African-Americans. Right. And across the street, there was a guy with a restaurant. And he it later, like 25 years later, basically admits to being the one who had lined up this assassination. And in fact, the person who pulled the trigger, according to this guy, and I don't have his name in front of me, was a member of the Memphis Police Department. What? Yes, yes. But this and, and so they had a trial. And even while James Earl Ray is still serving his sentence, he dies in jail, right? But even while he's serving his sentence, they have a trial for this other guy 25 years later, and he gets convicted. By then, he's like a million years old. You know, he's a really old guy, so it doesn't matter. But it's, uh, you know, it's just, it's just amazing. So on one hand, it's like, okay, well, look, we just convicted this other guy for the exact same crime we convicted you of 25 years ago. Damn. How's that? Yes. That is it. That's more than just a conspiracy. And then. Okay, so then I guess finally, why did Ray do it then? Okay, so as I said, he didn't actually do it, but he agreed to be involved and he agreed to be the fall guy. And here's here. It was the, the goofiness of his plan. So the person running for president at the time was this famous, famous racist from the South, George Wallace. But he was really coming up, and people thought that he was going to be president. So what he thought was that, okay, he initially gets captured, but then Wallace would become president. And because he shot Martin Luther King, or supposedly was being blamed for it, that Wallace would pardon him. So he thought, all I have to do is sit in prison for six months, and then I'll get out in the pardon when, when Wallace becomes president. I Pretty crazy, you know, that's like... Oh, you're you're seriously putting your life like uh, on the roll of a roulette table. That a <laughs> now hope he wins. Yeah, there we go, racists. And guess what? Wallace himself was shot on the campaign trail. What? <laughs> yeah. So in a, in a very similar situation to Gandhi, where it was like point blank range, right in the middle of a crowd, and he almost died. He almost died. 
spent the rest of his life in wheelchair. He, I mean, he recovered, but he ne- certainly never became president. So, but here's the other weird thing. So the family of Martin Luther King, after hearing about all this, they actually go and visit James LeRae in prison. They say, okay, did you shoot my dad or not? And he's like, no. And he tells them the whole story. And they, um, they support him. They support him. And he kept trying to get a jury trial so he could be, you know, tell his story in front of an actual jury. Remember, he pleaded guilty and gave up his right. And they actually had a mock trial on HBO with him in front of now it wasn't legal you know it's sort of like judge judy or whatever they got jurors and stuff like that they did a whole trial it didn't have any force of law but the jurors um you know there was a prosecution defense just like a real trial it just didn't have force of law did acquit him of the murder and so right up until the last day the people the family martin luther king did not believe that he did it what Damn, man. So this guy, well, he must have been a good talker. I'll tell you that much. If you uh, could convince he, them. He with, his, with, his, with his shiny new nose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I splurged on the nose. How do I look? So <laughs> it wasn't me. I have a new nose. Oh, I have a new nose. <laughs> look at my facelift. Does this look like a face of someone who would like This is you? the chin of Cary Grant. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, man. Yeah. I'll tell you though, with this guy's planning and this guy's like calculations and stuff, I probably don't want to have him anywhere near me. Like if I need, you know, luck or if I need calculations at like, I don't know, the casino or something, probably wouldn't take him along. But man, this guy can talk himself out of stuff holy holy that's really wild i'm really i'm very surprised they actually believed him so now i'm all confused i'm like all right well who done it who well it it helped like i said because they convicted the guy who was really behind it the king family and others believe the assassination was the result of a conspiracy involving the u.s government the mafia and the memphis police as alleged by Lloyd Jowers in 1993. They believe that Ray was a scapegoat. And in 1999, the family filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Jowers for the sum of $10 million. During the closing arguments, their attorney asked the jury to award damages of 100 to make the point that it wasn't about the money. But during the trial, both sides presented evidence alleging a government conspiracy. The accused government agencies could not defend themselves or respond because they were not even named as defendants. But based on the evidence, the jury concluded that Jowers and others were part of the conspiracy to kill King. Okay, Jowers was a white man from Memphis with business interests in the vicinity of the assassination site, and he appeared on ABC's Primetime Live, and he gained attention by claiming that he, so he admitted, of course, he waited 20 years, but he admitted that he had conspired with the mafia and the federal government to kill King. Now, according to Jowers, Ray was a scapegoat and was not directly involved in the shooting. They just got his fingerprints all over everything. And they claimed that they hired someone to kill King as a favor for a friend in the mafia, Frank Liberto, a produce merchant who died uh, prior to this admission of guilt. What the hell, man? I know, man. This is 
is like the second uh, government-involved uh, murder or conspiracy or whatever. Well, we we never did our episode on uh, you know the Kennedy assassination, but which we had talked about doing. But there wasn't any new information that hasn't been discussed a uh, hundred times. But I mean, that's the general belief there too. Stay tuned, people. <laughs> that's the next one we're covering. That's right. Did they kill JFK because he was too handsome? damn man well let me tell you this though if someone comes to me and says here's a gun right here's your room here's a Mm -hmm. bunch of maps probably just not gonna sit there and be like oh okay i'm gonna be like why what are you planning to do like i don't get well apparently he got a lot of money, right? Because how did he get from Memphis, Tennessee to England? Yeah. And and standing there in Heathrow Airport with a ticket to yet another place. So, you know, I think he was compensated for his efforts. He probably was not expecting, like, the. I guess what he probably thought was going to happen was, like, he was going to be, because obviously he had been uh, convicted twice, they had his fingerprints. So... Where they were going to find the fingerprints, they were going to know it was him, but they weren't going to be able to find him because guess what? He was going to be lost somewhere in Europe. Maybe with a new face. With, with an even maybe an extra new face, right? So he probably didn't know that he was going to get nabbed in Heathrow Airport. Like they, they found, you know, two months. He was able to elude them for two months, you know, unlike John Wilkes Booth that only got four days. And of course, <laughs> Goatsy, you know, they, you know, the crowd jumped on him instantly. Yeah. I mean, he's like, oh, sh- dude, you're just like straight to the electric chair. So. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap, man. Well. But now that we're wrapping, this is the end of part two. Now that we're wrapping this up, uh, let's just go back to the idea, though, that why was, you know, it got to the point by the time you get into the 60s, you know, and they shoot John F. Kennedy, they shoot Martin Luther King, they shoot George Wallace. So it wasn't just like, okay, Republicans are doing all the shooting. Sometimes liberals are doing the shooting. And then and then two months after they shoot Martin Luther King, they shoot they shoot John F. Kennedy's younger brother. Robert Kennedy and there was there's this clip at the at the top of the section where he's giving a speech and he tells the crowd who hasn't heard yet that Martin Luther King has just been shot and Robert F. Kennedy was running for president and he he was probably going to win I mean he had just won the California primary and they were he was like He'd given his victory speech, and then he's like walking away. He's like walking through the kitchen when somebody blew his brains out. So, um, you know, we're, we got to the point where everybody's like, you know what? This is just like a daily occurrence. It's sort of the way we are now with like these serial killings that occur yeah. in grade schools and churches and temples and stuff like that. And we're just like, you know what? Yeah. What What time is it? Okay. Yeah. Then when's the next one? So Damn. why is that? Why do we tolerate this? Why? I have no idea. Like, you know, why are there no safety precautions, anything to be put in place? Are, are we not learning our lessons? Like, uh, it, it's really hard to tell. I mean, I don't even know how we can even solve stuff like this, but this is kind of wild. I'll tell you one thing, maybe increase security for back then. You know, they had no security. I'm glad that we've been. Well, we haven't had a, a credible attempt on a president since... Reagan was shot back yeah. in the 1980s. And that was another very close, you know, the guy was right there in front of him, you know, shot him at point blank range. 
I think the Secret Service has figured it out by now because nobody, you know, no other president has been killed. Now, there was during the Obama presidency, some guy was able to jump the fence over the White House. He had like a big Bowie knife. He climbed over the fence. You know, they've got cameras all around there. Right. But he was able to climb over the fence, run across the lawn, get inside the house, apparently expecting that he was going to stab Obama and but here he's like, wow, you must be such an incredible athlete, but you're kind of stupid because if you went online to WhiteHouse.gov, you'd see he was out of country today. They had his schedule. He's stupid. not in the country. He went to all this trouble. You could have seen when he was here. So let's uh, is it safe to say planning is not these uh people's primary uh forte here they're missing you're, they're missing a planning gene aren't they i mean <laughs> i mean you're a professional uh project manager so i mean they should have hired you to like okay whoa whoa, whoa, whoa. before you actually pull the trigger let's let's go through a couple of logistics here okay i'm gonna put this on a spreadsheet for you <laughs> we're gonna buy some tickets now let's talk there's, about this there's first. gonna be a getaway car okay <laughs> And the motor's going to be running. You get in. You leave. <laughs> they, need, they needed somebody. I'll tell you that, that much. Because that's, uh, that's some wild stuff. That's uh, I mean, it's interesting. It just basically opens up that broader question, right? Like, or that, I guess that broader statement, you can't, you can't please everybody, right? There's going to be some people. You, you can be going out there trying to do the best trying to spread the most positive message and people will still have problems with you. Just be yourself, folks. That's the bottom line of this whole thing. Be yourself and do you because people are going to hate you anyway. Just kidding. (laughs) That's such a dreary message. (laughs) Well, I think we emptied our magazine on this episode, folks. I want to thank our amazing co-host, Anurata. As usual, we hope you'll follow or subscribe to Scandal Sheet on your favorite pod platform and share it with all your friends. We'd also love it if you'd leave us a shameless, over-the-top review on Apple Podcasts especially. That helps us build audience. We also want to hear from you. You can reach us online at ScandalSheetPod.com Facebook, or Twitter, now called X, or just send us an email to contact at scandalsheetpod.com. See you again on Scandal Sheet! Copyright 2024. Thad Helsley Media LLC. All rights reserved.